Hey everyone, welcome to the Balanced Dietitian Podcast. I am your host, Marie-Pierre, and for all my English friends out there, you can call me Marie. I am a registered dietitian with a background in psychology. My passion in life is to help individuals heal their relationship with food and their bodies. If you're tired of dieting and tired of restriction, you are at the right place. I'm hoping that this podcast will help and support you as you heal your own relationship with food and your body and give you the tools, the resources, and the knowledge that you need to finally ditch the diets. Every week, you will be hearing from guest experts and myself on all things food, body, and mind. I am so happy that you're here and I cannot wait to support you on your journey. Let's get started. Hey, hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Balanced Dietitian Podcast. I hope that you're doing so great today. I hope that you're having the best day so far. And thank you so much for being here with me today. I'm really happy that we get to connect. We're now here in September. How are we feeling about, I don't know why, September is always this moment of summer is over and we're getting back to our routine or back to more structure maybe. I know I really love September. I love this idea of renewal. I think we often feel that in January. It's like the new year, but I have a very similar feeling around September. Like things are now starting to slow down and September in particular, I love because there's still a lot of the summer lies. There's a lot of sun. It still feels very summery, but with a more like chill vibe, (laughs) but I don't know. How do you feel about it being September already? So I'm really excited about today's podcast episode because today we have Allison Hall, who's here with us. And we are going to be connecting on sports nutrition, but more specifically sports that have a very body focus aspect and how that all works in terms of being anti-diet and health at every size aligned. So I think this conversation is going to be extremely interesting. I know for a lot of my folks who are listening, you guys here, the audience, We're learning about all things anti-diet and how we can live our best life outside of diet culture. And I think sometimes when we have, maybe you are part of a sport or we are in some communities that are very like body focused, it can make it seem very hard and maybe even impossible at times. So I'm really excited that we're going to get to connect here with Allison. I think it's going to be such a good episode. So on that note, my friends, I hope that you really enjoyed this one. And if you do, you know what I'm going to say, pause this podcast and go leave us a review. If you leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, it really helps us get the word out there. It's such a mission of ours to really increase our reach so we're able to spread the anti-diet message a little bit further along. So if you enjoy this podcast, please don't forget to do that. I'm so grateful for you. And on that note, let's get to the episode. Hey, Allison, how are you? I'm good. How are you doing today? I'm doing so good. I'm glad that we get to connect today. And I'm really pumped about the topic that we're going to be discussing today. Me too. I think it's something that 
the world maybe is not quite as open to seeing and viewing and how things can be different within the topic today. <laughs> yeah, a hundred percent. But before we get into the topic, let's learn a little bit more about you. So could you tell us maybe a little bit more about what you do, your origin story, what got you to do the work that you do today? Yeah, I talk to my mom about this all the time and kind of all of my previous life experiences we really think led me to exactly what I'm doing, my particular niche within the field of dietetics. So I am a registered dietitian that practices within the health at every size, intuitive eating, really working with disordered eating and eating disorders. But then in particular, I have an interest in working with athletes. And that comes from my own background of being a division one athlete and growing up doing competitive gymnastics for 10 plus years. So all of that kind of led me to this environment because that care is different than what it is when you do have a typical person who maybe isn't someone that's training 40 hours a week in the gym or on the track or whatever it may be. And on the flip side of that movement side, I do work part-time as a fitness coach as well. So really combining both what can be a healthy relationship with fitness and movement and food all into kind of this perfect career that I fell into. Yeah. Oh, I love that so much. And how did you decide to do not just sports nutrition, but really focus on eating disorder recovery within the sports nutrition field? I think that part's interesting. When I graduated from graduate school, right in the midst of the pandemic, I finished my clinical rotation and the world shut down the next week, all in 2020. (laughs) Absolutely shut down. So I was in two intersects of, okay, hey, am I thinking more of, okay, let's do clinical nutrition. We all know, those of us who are dietitians know that sports dietetics alone can be pretty challenging to get into as well within the field. It's still a very small and new up and coming field. And then I had a job that was the eating disorder at the higher level of care of a partial hospitalization and inpatient that kind of presented itself to me. And then from there, I always had interest in not necessarily just straightforward sports dietetics of let's do this, let's do that. So what happened is when I quickly got into the partial hospitalization and inpatient, I quickly was like, wow, okay, athletes are coming in. I can relate to these athletes a little bit more than your average provider can. Having that same mindset that they have, having the same background and the understanding that not every provider will have when it comes to treating athletes. So that's kind of what led me to there, just all of these cards falling into place for me. And now I would never change any of it. Yeah, no, I love that. I love that with that particular skill to be able to connect on the athlete level, because it is very different than a non-athlete. And we also know how much disordered eating and eating disorder can impact athletes as well. So it's such a cool intersection, I find. And then where do you work today? So today I'm doing a little bit more. I like to have my feet in several different things. So my primary thing is working on my own practice in enlightened nutrition, counseling and care. We're located in Virginia, but fortunate enough to have licensure in some other areas so we can see the entire D.C., Maryland, Virginia, West Virginia area. We have our in-person office in Virginia, and most of our clients prefer the in-person we're finding again, which is a flip compared to how it was a year or two ago. And then on the same time, I still work a little bit as a clinical dietitian just to keep some of that nutrition knowledge that when you step an outpatient kind of dwindles away quicker than I would all like to admit. And then just one or two days a week coaching fitness, just that's my outlet. It's that free place for me as well. Yeah. Okay. That's so awesome. I'd love for us to get into like, why are athletes maybe at risk of developing an eating disorder? Can we talk a little bit about that intersection 
why do we see that athletes become maybe at a higher risk? And then maybe we could talk about like different sports and maybe why certain sports are more, yeah, just increase the prevalence of developing an eating disorder. Yeah, I was actually looking just recently, NIDA, National Eating Disorder Association, reports that athletes are more predisposed to have that. And I think some of it is the culture of sports, the pushing your body, pushing past limits that all natural athletes have. But because of those environments and that environment of don't listen to your body pursue, I think some of that mentality really drives to a higher prevalence of eating disorders of pushing past what your body maybe is meant to do at certain times. And then on the flip side, statistically, one third of athletes are going to report disordered behaviors or even full-blown eating disorders, which let's say you have a cross-country team of 12, that's four of them having eating disorders or disordered behaviors that are not maybe talked about as much as it should. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I find it super interesting because I find with sports nutrition, we all have these, and I know we've talked on the podcast before. So if you've been listening here, you've probably heard this or me talk about this quite often, but like developing an eating disorder is like an onion with all of these different layers. And a lot of the stuff that impacts all of us are very, very, very present in the athlete world. Like we, even when we think of personality types, right. Being like a perfectionist, being a go-getter, like very like type a, like driven, competitive, like all of these traits that tend to be like part of the development and eating disorder appear even more strongly, typically in athletes as well. And then you have the environment that depending on the coach that you have, depending on the environment that you're in can be extremely toxic and very much geared towards disordered eating behaviors. I know for myself, I used to play competitive basketball all through high school and some of them, and like basketball is not a very body focused sport. It's not anything like gymnastics or figure skating or anything like that. And still (laughs) the amount of messaging around how our body should look for speed or what we should or should not eat. And all of these different like levels that come in when you are an athlete, is just insane. Like insane. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And I think that some of that shift, you're right. That type A personality, we see it within eating disorders a lot. And some of that all or nothing mindset and all of those mindsets, really, when you toss them in and those personalities into an athlete, you almost see it just be a little bit more heightened, which I think is why they're be a little bit more predisposed to developing eating disorders and disorder behaviors. And at the same time, right now, our world is so split. We're 50-50. And that, at least that's how I feel. I feel like between our world right now, half of us are diet culture and half of us are not. And there's not a whole lot of middle ground. We're very torn right now. Mm-hmm. And you got in sports, you see that in our culture, you see some of the shift changing, but you still see a lot of the old things that have not changed yet. Too. Yeah. No, that's that's really interesting. Could we talk about like maybe what are the sports that are maybe more or bring a higher risk of developing an eating disorder and like why? Yeah. So textbook definition, those are going to be really your gymnast, your figure skating, your dancers. Those are your top three. And then out of that, you have other sports like wrestling for men that's very body focused. You have cross country, you have some sports that are more body focused, but not necessarily as textbook definition of she needs to be a light figure skater. She needs to be this. And those sports are why they're more predisposed because you have years and years of figure skating or years of gymnastics or years, whatever. And there's always been a particular body type to it. I think at the same time with gymnastics in particular, we've started to see a shift 
And I think that recognition is starting to come. And I hope as new generations come up, we start to see more of those changes that while these folks sports were body focused always, body focused does not mean that eating disorder has to be higher prevalence within those body focused sports moving forward. Yeah. Oh, and I know that we want to talk about the recovery process when you're an athlete, but I really want us to talk about this piece of how do we combine this like health at every size perspective? Like we want to be inclusive of all bodies and weight and those sports that are very highly body focused. Is there a space where those meet or is there not? It's really interesting. Even when we think of like runners, like I've had a lot of runners who come, I have to be X amount of weight to run faster. Like how do we bring these ideas together? And like, we've talked before pressing record. If we don't have the answer today, guys, it's because this is like a big question. (laughs) We're still working. We're still developing it. (laughs) We're still learning all of these things as we go along. (laughs) And I think on the flip side as a field, we're still learning what health at every size means as a whole and what it means to each person as well. For me, health at every size ultimately is looking at the disengagement of behaviors, going out with friends because you want to, that joyful movement component. So with athletes, you're right. That health at every size is going to look different. It's the same thing of just health at every size with without an athlete. Maybe you have that set point that ranges five to 20 pounds of your set point based off of some of the research. So you're right. You could be very happy at 20 pounds at the higher end of your set point or the lower end of your set point. How do you meet the middle? I think it's the same thing for the athletes. I think health at every size for them is they are performing the way that they should based off the fact that they're fueling their body appropriately and they're not engaging those behaviors. I think with health at every size within athletes, we've started to see a shift within the body focused sports. For example, it used to be within gymnastics, very slender body types, the little gymnasts. But nowadays you have somebody like Simone Biles, who is just has all that muscle, all of that muscle, all that power. She can do these crazy moves, defying those limits and shattering some of the thoughts that you need to be a certain body type to be a good gymnast. She shattered all of that and said, you do not need to be a certain body type to be a good gymnast, which I think is what we, I would love to see moving forward is seeing more of those people come in, come into this field and prove everybody wrong. Yeah. And I think I see a pretty big distinction between health at every size and weight inclusive. I think in my perspective, it's like this idea of health at every size, right? It's all these of these different principles of access to care and all bodies, no matter the size can engage in health behaviors, which I think for athletes at that point, it's okay. Making sure that like, yes, there's the movement part of things and we are feeling right. But I think it's a piece more that for me is interesting is almost like that weight inclusivity. Okay. Yes. We can agree that like athletes health at every size, you guys are engaging in health behaviors, no matter the place that we're in. But then how do we become inclusive of all body sizes across the sports? And can we do that? I agree. I think it starts now. It starts from now all the way through the future. And we start to see the shift. We've slowly Mm. started to see it here and there. People right now, I think are more tempted to be, oh, she's an exception right now. And they see somebody of a different body type than what you've seen textbook over the last 50, 100 years. But as more and more people get in there and we start to accept that and we start to realize that all sports are way inclusive. They're yeah. not body type. Everybody can work just as hard. Everybody's body body is just as capable. There's no limitations on what someone's body can or cannot do. That doesn't mean you might need to make different adjustments to make a certain skill or a certain flip or a certain whatever. Just work a little bit bo- better for your body. And that doesn't mean changing your body. Maybe it's you need to rotate a little faster or you need to learn how to pick up your feet, get a little bit more jump. Why are we not 
thinking about those components of how do we change it to you versus you changing to the sport itself? Oh, okay. My drop. <laughs> I really love this piece because I think it all comes down to if I want to run faster, I don't need to focus on, I must lose weight to run faster, but instead, can I get stronger? Can I work on my speed? Can I work on my explosiveness? Like, and we think about it differently. Whereas like before, yeah. I think it was so weight centric of like, and it's such a weird thing. eh? It's like this piece of like weight loss leads to everything beautiful in this world. And you will <laughs> achieve all when we're like, actually, no, like here are all the other components that we can actually focus on that actually do lead to a better sports performance than just trying to shrink your body. So thank you so much for touching on that. I think that's really important for us to think through and like continuously change the way that you view it. I think this is something that I go through with athletes and non-athletes, like even just clients who like to move their body, that the size of your body does not determine your ability, that we get to work around different things and customize for our own bodies and do the things that we want to do. We're just shifting the way that we see it, that like the body size is not a requirement for it. Absolutely. And I think that ties into health at every size at the end of the day. And mm-hmm. it's four principles of your body is not a limitation. Your body is what you were given. How do you make the world bend to you versus you bending to the world that we all live in? Yeah, I love that. And I'm very hopeful that all, all sports were leaning towards that. Like sometimes I find, especially like I'm thinking about like the dancers that I work with, like it can feel very difficult because it doesn't feel like it's all that way yet, but it's definitely something that we work towards. That that is the idea, right? That we are good as we are and we get to show up the way that we want to. And I think that's something that we are as a country, state, whatever, we're all slowly working there with all of us now in the aim sort of field starting to push for this. Why is it this way? How do we start to say, hey, diet culture, you're right. Losing weight doesn't mean you're immediately happy. How do we start pushing coaches, pushing college teams, pushing just at a young age within sports? How do we start to push that knowledge there as well to make that shift? Yeah. Yeah. Where we can focus on like fueling and nourishment over trying to restrict, right? Absolutely. Hey, 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 I'm just quickly stopping this podcast episode to tell you about a free workshop that I will be hosting just for you. So this October, October 18th to 20th, I will be hosting a three-day workshop on emotional eating. I'm so excited to be able to offer this free workshop just for you, where you're going to learn what is emotional eating, understanding your emotional needs and how food may be meeting those needs, but also understanding how to manage our emotions with kindness and how to become more empowered with our food decisions. So this is not a workshop where you're going to feel any shame or it's going to be about willpower motivation. No, none of that BS. This is really to give you the best strategies in becoming more empowered with food, with your body, understanding your emotional self. So you can just feel good about the way that you eat and the way that you take care of yourself. So if you are an emotional eater, or if you resonate with the term emotional eating, or you eat when you're stressed, when you're bored, when you're happy, when you're sad, and it just feels like icky to you, or it starts to feel like, oh, I feel like I wish I had other coping mechanism or food feels like it's the only thing that can help me then you're not going to want to miss this workshop. It's going to be so good, so juicy, and I cannot wait to meet you there. So if you are interested in joining, you can join at www.thebalancepractice.com forward slash workshop. It's going to be in the show notes as well. Join us today. I cannot wait to connect with you in this free workshop. All right, let's get back to the episode.
I'm really interested in learning a little bit more about if someone has an eating disorder in sports, like what is that process? Because typical care oftentimes like removing the sport, removing the activity is part of the treatment, but how does that work for an athlete and how does the weight restoration process may work Mm -hmm. in that scenario as well? Yeah. And I love that you bring that up. I had a new athlete come in the other day and I had that frank conversation. You're right. When you have standard ease or care, the first thing to go is your sports because that energy is coming out. We don't know if it's excessive movement. How can we control certain factors within care? And the sports are easy to pull because we need to look at that. When you have those athletes come in, you know, the last thing they want is for you to pull their sport. So with them, what I find a lot of times is a very front forward motion to them of, hey, okay, this is what's going to happen. We will keep you in your sport. However, it will be harder to weight restore. It will need more diligence on you. And it will require maintenance of meal plans. So I've found that I keep them in their sport until I absolutely cannot. And some of that is having on my end certain parameters of where they need to fit within kind of red, yellow, green weight. And that's based off their gold percentage. And that's just making sure that they are medically staying stable at each of them in that weight restoration process. So if you're all the way down in what, you know, might be your red or danger zone, we need to pull you out of your sport because it's going to be the absolute best thing for you and your health because that has to be the priority at the end Mm -hmm. of the day. Then that yellow is, hey, we need to get on it, but you can still stay in your sport. You have a week to kind of, let's meet the meal plan. Let's meet the goals that we're talking about. And then that green, if you're doing everything right and we're just weight restoring, you keep doing what you're doing, you keep staying in your sport. So it's meeting them halfway. I found a lot of times they need more reg guidelines. They need more of a meal plan. I love the plate method, but all of my being, it's not typically great for the athletes because it's too loose for them. So it's tailoring and being more specific with them and giving them more specific guidelines at the same time. Yeah. Yeah, And general ED population too, there's too much freeway. Mm-hmm. the ED comes up, but I love that, right? It's kind of like the nuance of recovery and the nuance of when we heal a relationship with food, depending on our own context, it's going to change and there's no one size fits all and how that can be, but it's really neat when we're able to have that approach of mm-hmm. when you are an athlete and, you know, cause for some folks, it's maybe their career too. That's what they're mm-hmm. aiming for. So you, it's trying to find that like middle ground, but I love that. I love how individualize it can be and how we can work through it. And then just the understanding of if you're exceeding, like if you're pushing and your output is really high, the input needs to match when it might just look a little bit different than someone who's not an athlete in terms of the foods and what they're having in order to fuel. Yeah. But then the day, you know, it's that input, that output is that basic science that we have behind it. It's giving those athletes and just everybody with the eating disorder, disorder eating is giving them that knowledge. That body needs in, your body's out, just like your car does with gas. I love to use that example with my clients. You need to fuel your car to drive it down the street. You need to fuel your body to walk throughout your day. It comes down to it's different, but it's that simple at the same time to work through some of those years of damage that their disorder has put in their mind. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot of unpacking that we go through and how would that differ for sports that are very body specific? Like when there is maybe a lot of body image issues as well, if it's a gymnast or a gymnast, a gymnast, (laughs) my God, that's my French coming out. If there's a gymnast or a figure skater or a wrestler, when it is a lot more body specific, what challenges do you find and how do we overcome them? 
Yeah. A lot of that comes back to the sports and the culture that they're in. Are they being told by their sports, by their coaches, by the environment that they're in, that they need to be in a smaller body to be good? How do we then, if that's that case, address boundary setting with coach or education with coach? Are you willing to talk to your coach and share why this? And on the flip side, a lot of times they need to have a therapist. I almost always recommend that my client has a therapist because there's just points where I can't process within a session. And for them, how do they learn that it's okay to be strong? And strong does not mean they're going to be bad for sport because they need to weight restore. So it is a little bit different of care because it is going to be a lot more triggering of I'm going fear of weight is high within disordered eating. Within their athletes, that fear of gaining weight is almost a little bit more intense because that fear of gaining weight a lot of times equals poor sports performance on the flip side. So it's that education mm-hmm. of you're no longer, your body's no longer going to be using your muscle and your protein and your fat to fuel your body. You can use the carbohydrates to use the energy the way it's supposed to. So you can build, that, you can build your muscle. So you're more powerful of an athlete. So it's using that education. I find a lot of times with them because they are so type A, they need answers to what's happening and why they need to do certain things. No, I love that too. When it comes to one therapy, yes, always <laughs> multidisciplinary approach to eating disorder treatment always. Absolutely. But then I really love that piece too, of like, it's also when the goal is sports performance and understanding the impact of it, which I think diet culture has not done a good job, right? Like even the idea of if I don't move, I don't need food. And it's, you know, that's still not how it works. Like your body's so expensive to keep alive. And there is cost when we are not fueling it in a way that is appropriate for our care. But I love how you also mentioned the environment, because I think that piece is so important. And often like we see the eating disorder, like the person's responsibility to recover and do all the things, but the environment in which we are really highly impacts the eating disorder and the treatment that we get. So I think that piece of being able to set the environment for success and setting things into motion so we can truly recover and have that good relationship with food and with their body along the way. I think that's so amazing. Yeah, I think that comes back to triggers. What can you control? What can we change? And how do we change certain environments? That's what you just touched on. Yeah. And what would you say to an athlete who's maybe hesitant to seeking support and to actually recover? Right. Because part of the eating disorder is that sometimes we don't want to recover because the ED is supportive in some way. Like, how would you, like, what would you tell that to an athlete? I think a lot of it comes back to they almost need to understand and realize that it is a problem first. Because anybody who's treated disorder eating or eating disorders know that we get to a point as practitioners where we are stuck against a wall because there has to be motivation internally at some point. The first step is just asking for help whether it be from a teammate, a parent, a coach, whoever it may be, I almost recommend a lot of times that they go somewhere out of their sport to ask for that help first, because mm-hmm. is there any sort of tied to their sport? What's that safe area? And that's where we start. What's that first, what's that first step? I love that. What's the less friction part? It may not be meeting the dietitian right away because that can be a lot, but to connect with someone that's closer to us and just wear awareness. Okay. And I'd love for us to leave off on what are some red flags for athletes because of fitness culture and sports culture. I think a lot of the typical like eating disorder red flags can be masked. Whereas if you're a non-athlete, you're like, yeah, that doesn't make sense. Like compensating for my food with sport doesn't really make sense. But when you're an athlete in that world, maybe it does make a little bit more sense. So what would be some red flags if you're an athlete to be like, wait, no, this is actually disordered behavior or not ideal. 
Yeah, I think one of the biggest ones, so it's going to be a classic forever. It's going to be that female triad. We're looking as, are there suddenly increase of injuries, stress fractures, stress strains, maybe a broken toe here and there, kind of increase of those injuries and overuse injuries. Then from there is the period irregular when it has not been before. And what I find a lot of times, slight tangent, is that with that female triad and with looking at menstrual cycle in particular, if you're on birth control, it can almost cover that a lot of times. So that's a harder one to use. So what do we look at from there? Has performance suddenly worsened despite you feeling like you're training more? Because likely your body does not have enough energy to perform the way you want it to. Are you noticing that maybe they're sticking out really early? They're getting a lot of extra practices in when maybe they're already not performing well at practice. And that's because their body, once again, doesn't have enough energy. Do you notice sneaking off to the bathroom at the end of meals? Do you notice that they're not eating? When, you know, the team cultures within college athletics in particular, you eat most of your meals together because your friends are kind of your teammates. Is so-and-so not eating? Do you notice that they're not eating meals? Do you notice they're trying a new diet? Do you notice that? So it's some of those same flags. But they're right. They present a little bit differently than within normal people who are not training for a college meet or Mm -hmm. professional sport, whatever it may be. Yeah. Yeah. And even like the thought process behind it, right? Like skipping meals or compensating for different meals. Oh, I ate too much at breakfast. I'm going to do extra at practice. I'm going to run an extra lap, like things like that, where we can see that maybe we're compensating for the things that we eat, or I'm not going to eat that because I didn't push myself hard at practice, or I sat most of this game. So I'm not going to eat with the team. Ways that we try to control our food related to the sport also can be sneaky ways that maybe are often promoted. And I'd love to know, sorry, I'm like adding a bunch of questions because I'm like, this is just really interesting. I had this conversation with my partner who is a personal trainer and works at a gym. And we often have this talk about like fitness culture and diet culture and how it's so interactive. But once you see diet culture, like, holy moly, like you see it everywhere. And for him, something that really stood off is like this piece of like obsessively counting calories or macros, especially in like bodybuilders where they're like very obsessed with the protein count. How do you see that in sports? Do you think that like sports, like when you have a sport, that tracking is something that's important. Do you view that? We just had a dietitian, a sports dietitian talk about intuitive eating for athletes and how we can maybe avoid tracking all the foods. Like I'm curious to see what your thoughts are around that. I think that one's really interesting because when you have disordered eating and you have that focus, it's so easy for them to count. Most of them are counting on the flip side. So how do we get them away from that? And sometimes what I like to do with clients is within the plate method, within exchanges or all these different ways we have a meal plan, how do we versus counting have a minimum of what their body probably needs and work through that mindset of your body needs at least this to perform. How do we change that to that language versus you need to hit this much and you cannot eat any more of that. So what's that happy media of, of you can have two to four protein things at each meal versus you can only have this much at this time at this blank. How do you meet mm-hmm. eating with athletes? It's still some of the biggest challenge, I think, too, is can they get there within being in their sport and disordered sport if they're there at the same time, too? Yeah, it's such an interesting intersection of like the intention behind tracking also really matters of like, why are we tracking and how? And 
are we able to be flexible of like exchange of having two proteins versus I'm having 25.3 grams of this. <laughs> it's like allowing for that flexibility too, and that trust in our body. So we are able to do that. Yeah. This is super interesting. And I think such a good conversation because it's such an intersection when we think about our relationship to food, to our body. And then when we have a sport and then when we're competing at a higher level, like it really adds, yeah, just a lot more thoughts that are involved into it as well. Any other tips or anything that you want to leave the audience with today? I think probably the biggest one is how do we just start to change as a world, whether it be in sports or not? What do you want to see within? How do you start as simple as within your own family, your own boundaries to help cultivate that change? Oh, this is so good. I love it. Very juicy. And where can people find you if they want more information about you? Do you have an Instagram page or anywhere that people can follow? Yeah, we have a little bit of everything. So my own personal is the.ambitious.dietitian on Instagram. And then my company will be Enlightened Counseling Care. We're also on Facebook and our website, enlightenedcounselingandcare.com or just the name to be find us on all of that. We are working on our social media, I promise. The intention is there, just the follow through is a little weaker right now. <laughs> I love that. All of that will be in the show notes, guys. So you can go check her out. And let's finish off with our fun questions. The first one being, what is your favorite food? The funny part is being a dietitian, people ask this a lot. And I really struggle to say what favorite food I like because I think it really depends. But I think at the end of the day, I'd probably have to say, to be honest, I am I love bacon. I don't think I could live without bacon. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Awesome. If you could have a superpower, what would it be? Oh, probably to mind read, but at the same time, that would make, mm. my job, make my job a little bit easier and my life with my husband. <laughs> That's true. I'm like, would it make it easier or would it make it like very chaotic? <laughs> I know, would it help? <laughs> but I could read my dog's mind. So that, that's, that Ooh. sells me. <laughs> okay. I may need to change my superpower now just to know what my dog thinks. <laughs> what is your favorite way to self-care? I think for me, a lot of it is for me, joyful movement with my dog and my husband, nothing beats a late night walk just around the neighborhood to talk about our days, our little, our little German shepherd. I say little subjectively, our little German shepherd is walking with us. And we're enjoying each other's company, the fresh air all together. It's kind of wow. a teacup. <laughs> yeah. I love that so much. And then last question for you, what does balance mean to you? I think that's a great question because I think we're all still learning what balance looks like and it looks different at different times in our life. Balance is something that I struggled with a little bit before when I first came into the field because we glorify overworking within our culture. And a lot of that for me lately has come back to, do I feel tired? Do I feel I feel burnt out? So making sure that I have the time at home that I need to recover. I have the time to hang out with friends. I don't feel like I'm pulling in every direction. So I think it's just that calmness with kind of within of knowing you can take a breath for yourself, knowing you can go on a walk, knowing you can go out to dinner and the world's not going to fall around you. I love that so much. This is, we could do a whole other podcast on hustle culture. <laughs> yeah, we could do that too. But yeah, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. Thank you so much for being here with us today. I think this was a really amazing episode. You guys, all of her information will be in the show notes and we'll catch you guys next week on the next episode. 